0: yeah why so serious we're just talking about murder so today we're actually going to be talking about jeffrey dahmer aka the milwaukee cannibal or the milwaukee monster one two three four five six seven eight chlamo 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 Incorporated. Jeffrey Dahmer was an American serial killer and sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys characterized by necrophilia and cannibalism between 1978 and 1991. Whatever misfortune may be your lot, it could only be worse in Milwaukee. So Jeffrey... Lionel Dahmer was born May 21, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the first of two sons of Joyce Annette Flint, a teletype machine instructor and AIDS advocate in Fresno, and Lionel Herbert Dahmer, a Marquette University chemistry student and later research chemist. Some sources report that Dahmer was deprived of attention as an infant, while other sources suggest that he was generally doted upon as an infant and toddler by both of his parents. Dahmer's mother was a a hypochondriac who had depression, demanded constant attention, and spent an increasing amount of time in bed. Neither parent devoted much time to their son. And Dahmer later recollected that from an early age, he felt unsure of the solidity of the family, recalling extreme tension and numerous arguments between his parents during his early years. Dahmer had an energetic and happy childhood, but became notably subdued after double hernia surgery shortly before his fourth birthday. At elementary school, Dahmer was regarded as quiet and timid, and in grade school, he did, however, have a small number of friends. friends From an early age, Dahmer manifested an interest in dead animals. His fascination with dead animals may have begun when, at the age of four, he saw his father removing animal bones from underneath the family home. According to Lionel, Dahmer was oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made and became preoccupied with animal bones, which he initially called his fiddlesticks. He occasionally searched beneath and around the family home for additional bones and explored the bodies of live animals to discover where their bones were located. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. In October 1966, the family moved to Doylestown, Ohio, and in 1968, the family moved to Bath Township in Summit County, Ohio. This was their third move in two years. One night during dinner, Dahmer asked his father what would happen if chicken bones were placed in bleach. His father, obviously pleased by what he believed to be his son's scientific curiosity, demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve the animal bones. According to one friend, Dahmer explained to him that he was curious as to how animals fit together. In 1975, he decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull upon a stick in the woodland behind his house. From his freshman year at Revere High School, Dahmer was seen as an outcast. By the age of 14, he had begun drinking beer and hard alcohol in the daylight hours. And although largely uncommunicative, in his freshman year, he was seen by staff as polite and highly intelligent, but with average grades. When Dahmer reached puberty, he discovered he was gay, and he had a brief relationship with another teenage boy, although they never had sex. He began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner in his early mid-teens. And his maspiratory fantasies gradually evolved to his focusing upon the chests and torsos of the objects of his fantasies. When he was about 16, Dahmer conceived a fantasy of rendering unconscious a particular male jogger he found attractive, then making sexual use of his body. On one occasion, he concealed himself in bushes with a baseball bat to lie in wait for this man. However, thankfully, the man did not pass by on that particular day, and Dahmer later said that his first attempts, this was his first attempt to attack someone. Regarded as a loner and an oddball among his peers at RHS, Dahmer became something of a class clown who often staged pranks, which became known as doing a Dahmer. These included bleeding and simulating epileptic epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and local stores. By 1977, his grades had declined, and that same year, in an attempt to save their marriage, his parents attended counseling sessions. They continued to quarrel frequently, ultimately deciding to, to divorce, telling their son they wished to do so amicably. In May 1978, Dahmer graduated from high school. That spring, his parents moved out of the family home to live with relatives in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Dahmer had just turned 18 and remained in the family home. Dahmer committed his first murder in 1978, just three short weeks after his high school graduation. On June 18th, 18-year-old Stephen Mark Hicks was last seen hitchhiking to a rock concert in Chippewa Lake Park in Bath, Ohio. By Dahmer's own admission, what drew his attention to Hicks hitchhiking was the fact fact that the youth was bare-chested. Dahmer lured the youth to his house on the premise of having a few beers with him, as he had the house all to himself. After several hours of talking, drinking, and listening to music, Hicks wanted to leave. Dahmer bludgeoned him with a 10-pound dumbbell. He later stated he struck Hicks twice from behind with the dumbbell as Hicks sat upon a chair. Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell, then stripped the clothing from his body before exploring his chest with his hands and masturbating as he stood above the corpse. The following day, Dahmer dissected Hicks's body in the basement. He later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. Several weeks later, Dahmer unearthed the remains and parred the flesh from the bones. He dissolved the flesh in acid before flushing the solution down the toilet. He crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland behind the family home. That August, Dahmer enrolled at Ohio State University, hoping to major in business. (laughs) Dahmer's sole term at OSU was completely unproductive, largely because of his persistent alcohol abuse throughout the majority of the term. Despite his father having paid in advance for the second term, Dahmer dropped out of OSU after just three months. In January of 1979, Dahmer enlisted in the United States Army, where he trained as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. On July 13, 1979, he was deployed to Baumholder, West Germany, where he served as a combat medic in the 2nd Battalion, 68th Armored Regiment, of the 8th Infantry Division. In Dahmer's first year of service, he was an average or slightly above average soldier. In March 1981, he was deemed unsuitable for military service and was later honorably discharged from the Army due to his alcohol abuse. His superiors didn't believe that any problems he had had in the Army would be applicable to civilian life. On March 24, 1981, Dahmer was sent to Fort Jackson, South Carolina for debriefing and provided a plane ticket to travel anywhere in the country. Dahmer chose to travel to Miami Beach, Florida, both because he was tired of the cold and in an attempt to live by his own means. Dahmer spent most of his salary on alcohol and was soon evicted from the motel where he rented a room for non-payment. Dahmer returned to Ohio in September of the same year, and upon his return, he initially resided with his stepfather or with his father and stepmother, but two weeks after his return, Dahmer was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. Hi, can I help you? No thanks, it's just flooded. I'll be okay. In December nineteen eighty one, Lionel and his wife sent Dahmer to live with his grandmother in West Allis, Wisconsin. Dahmer's grandmother was the only family member to whom he displayed any affection. Dahmer's living arrangements with his grandmother were harmonious. He accompanied her to church, willingly undertook chores, actively sought work, and abided by most of her house rules, although he did continue to drink and smoke. In early 1982, Dahmer found employment as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. He held this job for a total of 10 months before being laid off. And on August 7, 1982, shortly before losing his job, Dahmer was arrested for indecent exposure. For this incident, he was convicted and fined $50 plus court costs. In January 1985, Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Shortly after he found this employment, an incident occurred in which he was propositioned by another man while sitting reading in the West Allis Public Library. Although he didn't respond to the proposition, the incident stirred in his mind the fantasies of control and dominance he had developed as a teenager, and he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookstores. By late eighty-five, Dahmer had begun to regularly frequent the bathhouses, which he later described as being relaxing places. But during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated at his partner's movement during the act. And for this reason, beginning in June of 86, he administered sleeping pills to his partners, giving them liquor laced with the sedatives. Then he waited for his partners to fall asleep before performing some various sexual acts. He got a heart on, he got horny, he lost control, he went out of his mind. After approximately 12 such instances, the bathhouses administration revoked Dahmer's membership, and he began to use hotel rooms to continue his activities. On September 8th, 1986, Dahmer was arrested upon a charge of lewd and lascivious behavior for masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys as he stood close to the Knicknick River. Oh my gosh! Can you see that juice? The charge was changed to disorderly conduct and on March 10th of 87, Dahmer was sentenced to one year of probation with additional instructions he was to undergo counseling. In November of 1987, he was residing with his grandmother in West Allis. He encountered a 25-year-old man from Ontonagon, Oregon, sorry, Antonegon, Michigan, named Steve Tuomi at a bar and persuaded him to return to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee, where he'd rented a room for the evening. The following morning, Dahmer awoke to find Tuomi laying beneath him on the bed. His chest had been crushed in and was black and blue with bruises. There was also blood seeping from the corners of his mouth. Dahmer's fists and one of his forearms were extensively bruised, and he stated he had no memory of having killed Tuomi. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. To dispose of Tuomi's body, Dahmer purchased a large suitcase in which he transported the body to his grandmother's residence. After a week, he severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso, then filleted the bones from the body before cutting the flesh into small enough pieces to be able to handle. Dahmer placed the flesh inside plastic garbage bags before wrapping the bones inside a sheet and pounding them into splinters with a sledgehammer. The The entire dismemberment process took Dahmer approximately two hours to complete and he disposed of all of Tuomi's remains excluding the severed head in the trash well that's about enough light for me for one day Dahmer retained the victim's head wrapped in a blanket after two weeks, Dahmer boiled the head in a mixture of soylexed, which is an alkaline-based industrial detergent, and bleach in an effort to retain the skull, which he then used as stimulus for masturbation until it became too brittle due to the bleaching process, so he pulverized it and disposed of it. Dahmer began to actively seek victims, most of whom he encountered in or close to gay bars, and whom he typically lured to his grandmother's house. Once he'd rendered his victims unconscious with sleeping pills, he would engage in sex with them before killing them by strangulation. Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Native American male prostitute named James Doxteter. Dahmer lured the youth to his home with an offer of $50 to pose for nude pictures. The pair engaged in sexual activity before Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Doxteter in much the same manner as he had Tuomi. On March 24, 1988, Dahmer met a 22-year-old bisexual man named Richard Guerrero outside a gay bar called The Phoenix. Dahmer lured Guerrero to his grandmother's residence, although the incentive on this occasion was $50 to simply spend the remainder of the night with him. Dahmer drugged Guerrero with sleeping pills and strangled him with a leather strap before performing oral sex upon the corpse. Dahmer dismembered Guerrero's body, disposed of the remains in the trash, and retained the skull before pulverizing it several months later. On April 23rd, Dahmer lured another young man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drugged coffee, both he and the intended victim heard Dahmer's grandmother called, Is that you, Jeff? Although Dahmer replied in a manner that led his grandmother to believe he was alone, she had observed that he was not alone. Because of this, Dahmer opted not to kill this particular victim, instead waiting till he'd become unconscious before taking him to the County General Hospital. Meets, I'm gone! In September 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out, largely because of his drinking, his habit of bringing young men to her house late at night, and the foul smells occasionally emanating from both the basement and the garage. Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment, and moved into his new residence on the 25th of September. Two days later, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy whom he'd lured to his home on the pretext of posing nude for photographs. Camera. Dahmer underwent a series of psychological evaluations prior to his upcoming court hearings. These evaluations revealed Dahmer harbored deep feelings of alienation, And a second evaluation two months later revealed he was an impulsive individual, suspicious of others, and dismayed by his lack of accomplishments in life. In 1987, he was diagnosed with a schizoid personality disorder. On January 3rd of 1989, Dahmer pleaded guilty to the charge of second-degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. On May 20th, he moved back into his grandmother's house. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully, and a small voice will tell you which number to press. Two months after his conviction, and two months prior to his sentencing for the sex assault, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, whom Dahmer met at a gay bar on the 25th of March. Dahmer lured Sears to his grandmother's home, where the parent engaged in oral sex before Dahmer drugged and strangled Sears. Dahmer decapitated the body before attempting to flay the corpse. He then stripped the flesh from the body and pulverized the bones. After all that, he disposed of them in the trash. Sears was the first victim from whom he permanently retained any body parts, He preserved Sears' head and genitalia in acetone and stored them in a wooden box. When Dahmer moved to a new address the following year, he took the remains with him. On May 23, 1989... Dahmer was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Corrections with work release permitted in order that he may be able to keep his job. He was also required to register as a sex offender. Two months before his scheduled release from the work camp, he was paroled from the regimen. Upon release, he temporarily moved back to his grandmother's house, and on May fourteenth, 1990, he moved out of his grandmother's, taking Sears' mummified head and genitalia with him. He found an apartment that was close to his workplace, was furnished, and at $300 a month, inclusive of all the bills, excluding electricity, it was economical. Within a week of moving into his new apartment, Dahmer had killed his sixth victim, Raymond Smith, a 32-year-old male... Prostitute that he had lured to his apartment with the promise of $50 for sex. Once in the apartment, he gave Smith a drink laced with seven sleeping pills then manually strangled him. You didn't see that coming? Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera with which he took several pictures of Smith's body in suggestive positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle with Soilex, which allowed him to then rinse the bones in his sink. Dahmer dissolved the remains of Smith's skeleton, sans the skull, in a container filled with acid. He later spray-painted Smith's skull, which he placed alongside the Skull of Sears, in a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet. Approximately one week after the murder of Smith, on or about May 27th, Dahmer lured another young man to his apartment. However, this time, Dahmer accidentally consumed the laden drink, the sedative laden drink, himself, and when he awoke the following day, he discovered his intended victim had stolen several items of his clothing, $300, and a watch. Yes, I, you know, you, fucked the- up." In June 1990, Dahmer lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. He drugged and strangled Smith. Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope it would not retain moisture. Dahmer accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry, a process that caused the skull to explode. Dahmer later informed the police he had felt rotten about Smith's murder as he'd been unable to retain any of his Body parts. Less than three months after the murder of Smith, Dahmer encountered a 22 year old Chicago native named Ernest Miller outside of a bookstore. Miller agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment for $50 and further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach. When Dahmer attempted to perform oral sex on Miller, he was informed that'll cost you extra whereupon Dahmer gave his intended victim a drink laced with two sleeping pills. On this occasion, Dahmer had only two sleeping pills, therefore he killed Miller by slashing his carotid artery with the same knife he used to dissect his victims. Dahmer then posed the nude body for various suggestive Polaroid photos before placing it in his bathtub for dismemberment. It's reported that Dahmer repeatedly kissed and talked to the severed head while he dismembered the remainder of the body. Dahmer wrapped Miller's heart, biceps, and portions of flesh from the legs in plastic bags and placed them in the freezer for later consumption. To preserve the skeleton, Dahmer placed the bones in a light bleach solution for 24 hours before allowing them to dry upon a cloth for a week. The severed head was initially placed in the refrigerator before also being stripped of flesh, then painted and coated with enamel. On September 24th, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old man named David Thomas at the Grand Ave Mall and persuaded him to return to his apartment for a few drinks with additional money as an offer if he would pose for for photographs. Dahmer stated after giving Thomas a drink laden with sedatives, he didn't feel attracted to him but was afraid to allow him to awake in case he'd be angry over having been drugged. No one wants to fuck you! Dahmer decided to strangle him and dismember the body, initially, intentionally retaining no body parts whatsoever. And following the murder of Thomas, Dahmer didn't kill anyone for almost five months. Wow. He's also known to have regularly complained of feelings of both anxiety and depression to his probation officer throughout 1990, with frequent references to his sexuality his solitary lifestyle, and financial difficulties. On several occasions, Dahmer is also known to have been harboring suicidal thoughts. In February 1991, Dahmer observed a 19-year-old named Curtis Strotter standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. According to Dahmer, he lured Strauder into his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos, with the added incentive of sexual intercourse. Dahmer drugged Strauder, cuffed his hands behind his back, then strangled him to death with a leather strap. He dismembered Strauder, retaining the youth's skull, hands, and genitals, and photographed each stage of the dismemberment process. Less than two months later, on April 7th, Dahmer encountered a 19-year-old named Errol Lindsay walking to get a key cut. Dahmer lured him to his apartment, where he drugged him, drilled a hole in his skull, and poured hydrochloric acid into it. Lindsay awoke after the experiment, which Dahmer had conceived in the hope of inducing a permanent, unresistant, submissive state, saying, I have a headache. What time is it? In response to this, Dahmer again drugged Lindsay, then strangled him. Dahmer decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. He then flayed Lindsay's body, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks in the hope of permanently retaining it. The brine mixture, though, is the really cool thing to me that I'm interested in. By 1991, fellow residents of the apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager of the follow smells emanating from Dahmer's apartment the sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw in response to these complaints Dahmer excused the odors emanating from his apartment as being caused by his freezer breaking causing the contents to become spoiled later he would blame the resurgence of the odor on several of his tropical fish recently dying stating to the building manager he would take care of the matter This is such a crock of shit. On May 24th, Tony Anthony Hughes, who was 31, was lured by Dahmer to his apartment upon the promise of posing nude for photographs. As Hughes was deaf, he and Dahmer communicated using handwritten notes. The injection of hydrochloric acid into Hughes' skull proved fatal. His body was left on Dahmer's bedroom floor for three days before being dismembered. With Dahmer photographing the dismemberment process... His skull was retained and identified from dental records. On the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Lao teenager named Conorak Synthensifon on Wisconsin Avenue. Dahmer was unaware Synthensifon was the younger brother of the boy whom he had molested in 1998. Boy, talk about coming full circle, I'm just saying. Dahmer approached the youth with an offer of money to accompany him to his apartment to pose for Polaroid pictures. Synthanthaphone was initially reluctant to the proposal before changing his mind and accompanying him to his apartment, where he posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him into unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. Dahmer drilled a single hole into Synthanthaphone's skull, through which he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. Dahmer then drank several beers while lying alongside him before leaving his apartment to drink at a bar, then purchase more alcohol. In the early morning hours of May 27th, Dahmer returned to his apartment to discover that Synthansifone was sitting on the corner of 25th and State, talking in in Lao, with three distressed young women standing near him. Dahmer told the women that the boy, whom he referred to by the alias John Mong, was his friend and attempted to lead him to his apartment by the arm. The three women dissuaded Dahmer, explaining they had phoned 911. See something, see something. Upon the arrival of two Milwaukee police officers, John Balserac and Joseph Gabrish, Dahmer told the officers that Sinsanthephom was his 19-year-old boyfriend, that he had drank too much following a quarrel, and that he frequently behaved in this manner when intoxicated. The three women were exasperated, one of which attempted to indicate to one of the officers... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Apologies, y'all. The three women were exasperated, one of which... Attempted to indicate this to one of the officers Both of whom Who had observed no injuries Beyond a scrape to St. Sansa Foam's knee and believed Him to be intoxicated that The boy had blood upon his testicles, was bleeding from his rectum, and that he had seemingly struggled against Dahmer's attempts to walk him to his apartment prior to their arrival. The officer harshly informed her to butt out, shut the hell up, and to not interfere. You're fired. Get out of here. This fucking cop, huh? Three members of the Milwaukee Fire Department arrived at the scene and examined synthansifone Despite one of the three believing the boy needed treatment, the police officers directed the fire department personnel to leave. Upon Officer Richard Porobikin's arrival on the scene, he and Gabrish followed Balsarak, escorting Dahmer and the boy to Dahmer's apartment as he repeatedly commented on the general crime in the neighborhood and of his appreciation of the police. Once arriving back at his apartment, Dahmer showed the officers the two semi-nude Polaroid pictures he had taken of the youth the previous evening in an effort to verify his claim that he and Synthantafone were lovers. When questioned later, Balserac said he smelled nothing unusual and Gabrish later stated he noticed a strong, strange scent reminiscent of excrement inside the apartment. What?! This order emanated from the decomposing body of Hughes. The extent of the police looking around consisted of one officer peeking his head around the bedroom, but not really taking a good look. The officers then left with a departing remark that Dahmer should take good care of the youth. Upon the departure of the three officers from his apartment, Dahmer again injected hydrochloric acid into Synthantafone's brain. On this second occasion, the injection proved fatal. The following day, which was May 28th, Dahmer took to dismembering the bodies of Cynxansifoam and Hughes and retained both victims' skulls. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago where he encountered a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station. Dahmer asked Turner to travel with him to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot and Turner accepted. Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Turner and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer upon their arrival at Dahmer's apartment. On July 5th, a mere five days later, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Benjamin Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment on the premise of spending the weekend with him. Dahmer drugged him, drilled through his skull, and injected boiling water into the cavity. He later recalled Weinberger's death to be exceptional, as he was the only victim who had died with his eyes open. Weinberger's decapitated body was kept in the bathtub for a week before being dismembered, and his torso was placed in a 57-gallon drum. Man's got to know his limitations. On July 15th, Dahmer encountered 24-year-old Oliver Lacey. Lacey agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing nude for for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment where the pair engaged in tentative sexual activity before Dahmer drugged him. On this occasion, after unsuccessfully attempting to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform, Dahmer strangled his victim and had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. Dahmer placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and his skeleton in the freezer. Upon receipt of word that Dahmer had been fired, he lured 25-year-old Joseph Brandenhoff to his apartment. Brandenhoff was a father of three children from Minnesota who was looking for work in Milwaukee at the time of his murder. After strangling him, he was left laying on Dahmer's bed covered with a sheet for two days. When Dahmer removed the sheet, he discovered the head of Brandenhoff was covered in maggots. He decapitated the body, cleaned the head, and placed it in the refrigerator. This would prove to be Dahmer's last murder victim, however, not for lack of trying. On July twentieth, 1991, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment to pose for nude photographs, drink beer, and simply keep him company. Edwards noted a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor. After some minor conversation, Edwards responded to Dahmer's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish, whereupon Dahmer placed a handcuff on his wrist. When Edwards asked, what's happening, Dahmer unsuccessfully attempted to cuff his wrists together. Dahmer then brandished a knife and informed Edwards he intended to take nude photos of him. Dahmer placed his head on Edwards' chest, listened to his heartbeat, and with the knife pressed against his intended victim, informed him he intended to eat his heart. Edwards had decided he was going to either jump from a window or run through the unlocked front door at the next available opportunity. Edwards stated he needed to use the bathroom and asked if they could sit with a beer in the living room where the air conditioning was. Edwards waited until he observed Dahmer had a momentary lapse of concentration before requesting to use the bathroom again. As he rose from the couch, he noted Dahmer wasn't holding the handcuffs. Edwards then punched him in the face, knocking him off balance, and ran out the front door. For you. Edwards flagged down two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Roth and Rolf Mueller, The officers noted Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist. Edwards explained to the officers that a freak had placed the handcuffs upon him and asked if the police could remove them. Edwards agreed to accompany the officers to the apartment where he had spent the previous five hours before escaping when the officers' handcuff key failed to fit the brand of handcuffs. When the officers and Edwards arrived at Dahmer's apartment, He invited the trio in and acknowledged he had indeed placed the handcuffs upon Edwards, although he offered no explanation as to why he had done so. He stated that the key to the handcuffs was in the bedside dresser. Dahmer attempted to pass the first officer as he went to retrieve the key himself, at which time the second officer present informed him to... Back off, man! In Dahmer's bedroom, the officer noted an open drawer which, upon closer inspection, contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were of human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. The decay in the photos indicated that they had been taken in, or I'm sorry, the decor <coughs> in the photos indicated they'd been taken in the very apartment in which they were standing. The officer walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the words, These are for real. A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of of Dahmer's victims were found. When Dahmer saw the officer was holding several of his Polaroids, he fought with them in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called for backup. When the officers opened the refrigerator, it revealed the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. Friday I had a pretty cushy gig had lots of friends. I was the office hottie. Now I'm a severed head in a fridge. After Dahmer was subdued, he muttered the words, For what I did, I should be dead. As you wish. A more detailed search of the apartment, conducted by the Milwaukee Police's Criminal Investigation Bureau, revealed a total of four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen, a total of seven organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom of the freezer. And elsewhere in the apartment, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and the 57-gallon drum. Three further dismembered skulls, some of which were painted some of which were bleached, were found in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet investigators discovered collected blood drippings upon a tray at the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator plus two human hearts and a portion of arm muscle, each wrapped in plastic bags on the shelves. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso plus a bag of human torsos dissolving in an acidic solution. In reference to the recovery of body parts, and artifacts at the scene the chief medical examiner later stated it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene oh my beginning july 23rd 1991 and over the next two weeks for over 60 hours dahmer was questioned about the murders he had committed and the evidence found at his apartment dahmer waived his right to have a lawyer present throughout his interrogations, adding he wished to confess all as he had created this horror and it only makes sense. I do everything to put an end to it, quote unquote. Dahmer readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987 with one further victim, Stephen Hicks, being killed in Ohio back in 1978. Almost all the murders Dahmer committed after moving into the Oxford apartments had involved a ritual of posing the victim's bodies in suggestive positions, typically with the chest thrust outwards prior to dismemberment. Dahmer readily admitted to engaging in necrophilia with several of his victims' bodies, including performing sexual acts with their viscera as he dismembered their bodies in his bathtub. Dahmer first removed their internal organs, then suspended the torso so the blood drained in his bathtub before dicing up any organs he didn't wish to retain and paring the flesh from the body. The bones he wished to dispose of were pulverized or acidified while Soilex and bleach solutions were used to aid in the preservation of the skeletons and skulls he wished to keep. Dahmer confessed to consuming the hearts, livers, biceps and portions of thighs of several victims he had killed within the previous year just everything a grown boy needs describing the increase in his rate of killing in the two months prior to his arrest Dahmer stated he had been completely swept along with his compulsion to kill adding it was it was an incessant and never-ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost When asked as to why he had preserved a total of seven skulls and the entire skeleton of two victims, Dahmer stated he had been in the process of constructing a private altar of victims' skulls, which he had intended to display on the black table located in his living room, and upon which he had photographed the bodies of many of his victims. This display of skulls was to be adorned at each side, with the complete skeletons of Miller and Lacey. The four severed heads found in his kitchen were to be removed of all flesh and used in this altar, as was the skull of at least one future victim. Incense sticks were to be placed at each end of the black table, above which Dahmer intended to place a large bluish lamp with extending blue globe lights. The entire construction was to be placed before a window covered with a black opaque shower curtain in front of which Dahmer intended to sit in a black leather chair. When asked who the altar was dedicated to, Dahmer replied, myself, adding it was a place he could go to meditate and feel at home. Dahmer also added that he could draw a sense of power from it, saying if his arrest had not had happened six months later that's what they would have found on a mountain of skulls in the castle of pain i sat on a throne of blood on july 25th 1991 dahmer was charged with four counts of first degree murder by august 22nd he had been charged with a further 11 murders committed in wisconsin on September 14th, investigators in Ohio, having uncovered hundreds of bone fragments in woodland behind the address in which Dahmer had confessed to killing his first victim, formally identified two mullers and a vertebrae with x-ray records of Hicks. Three days later, Dahmer was charged by authorities in Ohio with Hicks's murder. Dahmer was not charged with the attempted murder of Edwards, nor with the murder of Tuomi. On January 13, 1992, Dahmer pleaded guilty, but insane, to 15 counts of murder at a scheduled preliminary hearing. Oh, one told me there was going to be boasting. Dahmer's trial began on January thirtieth, 1992. He was tried in Milwaukee for 15 counts of first-degree murder. By pleading guilty on the 13th of January to the charges brought against him, Dahmer had waived his rights to an initial trial to establish guilt as defined in in Wisconsin law. The issue debated by opposing counsels at his trial was whether he suffered from either a mental or a personality disorder, the prosecution claiming that any disorder didn't deprive Dahmer of the responsibility to appreciate the criminality of his conduct or to deprive him of the ability to resist his impulses. The defense argued that Dahmer suffered from a mental disease and was driven by obsessions and impulses he was unable to control. Defense experts argued that Dahmer was insane due to his necrophilic drive, his compulsion to have sexual encounters with corpses. In case anyone didn't know what necrophilia was, but anyway. During an interview with one of the psychologists, Dahmer admitted he preferred comatose sexual partners to deceased ones 75% of the time. Dr. Carl Wallström, a forensic psychiatrist, diagnosed Dahmer with necrophilia, borderline personality disorder, schizotypical personality disorder, alcohol dependence, and a psychotic disorder and presented this during the trial. Dr. Fred Fosdell testified on behalf of the prosecution that Dahmer was without mental disease or defect at the time he committed the murders. He described Dahmer as a calculating and cunning individual able to differentiate between right and wrong, with the ability to control his actions and whose lust overpowered his morals. His conduct was that or I'm sorry, his conclusion was that Dahmer was not a sadist. Yeah, well, You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz testified that he didn't believe Dahmer had any form of mental disease or defect at the time that he committed the crimes, stating Dahmer went to great lengths to be alone with his victim and to have no witnesses. He explained that there was ample evidence that Dahmer prepared in advance for each murder. Therefore, his crimes were not impulsive. He also stated his belief that Dahmer's habit of becoming intoxicated prior to committing each of the murders was significant, stating if he had had an impulse to kill or a compulsion to kill, he wouldn't have had to drink alcohol to overcome it. He only has to drink alcohol to overcome it because he's inhibited against killing. Dietz diagnosed Dahmer with substance use disorder, paraphilia, and schizotypical personality disorder. No shit. Two court-appointed mental health professionals testifying independently of either prosecution or defense were forensic psychiatrist George Palmero and clinical psychologist Samuel Friedman. Palmero stated that the murders were the result of Dahmer's pent-up aggression within himself. He killed those men because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attraction to them. In killing them, he killed what he hated in himself. Palermo concluded that Dahmer had a severe mixed personality disorder with antisocial, obsessive-compulsive, sadistic, fetishistic, borderline, and necrophilic features, but otherwise legally sane. Look who knows so much, huh? Friedman testified that it was a longing for companionship that caused Dahmer to kill and testified that Dahmer was not psychotic. He diagnosed Dahmer with a personality disorder not otherwise specified, featuring borderline, obsessive compulsive, and sadistic traits. All experts whose input in this case was sought agreed on the general facts that despite the particulars of his psychopathy, Dahmer with his wide array of mental issues was on the whole sane you're shitting me the trial lasted two weeks on february 14th both attorneys delivered their closing arguments to the jury each attorney was allowed to speak for two hours defense attorney gerald boyle argued first repeatedly referring to the testimony of the mental health professionals, almost all of whom had agreed Dahmer was afflicted with mental disease, argued that Dahmer's compulsive killings had been a result of a sickness he discovered, not chose. Boyle portrayed Dahmer as a desperately lonely and profoundly sick individual, so out of control he could not conform his conduct anymore. Michael McCann delivered his closing argument for the prosecution, describing Dahmer as a sane man, in full control of his actions, who simply strove to avoid detection. McCann described Dahmer as a calculating individual who killed to control his victims and retain their bodies, merely to afford himself a prolonged period of sexual pleasure. I'll cradle the balls, stroke the shaft, work the pipe, swallow the grating. Get it over here, buddy. Let's do this. McCann argued that by pleading guilty but insane to the charges, Dahmer was seeking to escape responsibility for his crimes. On February 15th, the court reconvened to hear the verdict. Dahmer was ruled to be sane and not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was being tried, although two of the jurors disagreed with the findings of his sanity. Formal sentencing was postponed until February 17th, and on this date, Dahmer's attorney announced his client wished to address the court. Dahmer then approached a lectern and read from a statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. Now I'm just getting warmed up. In this statement, Dahmer emphasized that he never desired freedom following his arrest and that he frankly wished for his own death. He further stressed that none of his murders had been motivated by hatred, that he understood that nothing he either said or did could undo the terrible harm he had caused to the families of his victims and the city of Milwaukee, and that he and his doctors believed his criminal behavior had been motivated by mental disorders. Dahmer added that this medical knowledge had given him some peace, and that although he understood that society would never forgive him, he hoped God would. I'm not finished! Dahmer closed his statement with, I know my time in prison will be terrible, but I deserve whatever I get because of what I've done. Thank you, Your Honor, and I'm prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration. Then he returned to his seat to await formal sentencing. You can testify, but you just can't win, because I'm here to tell you, you guilty as sin. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Dahmer was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts. The remaining 13 counts carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option for Judge Graham to consider at the penalty phase, as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. In a court hearing lasting just 45 minutes, Dahmer again pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on May 1st, 1992. Fuck you too! The Oxford Apartments at 924 North 25th Street, where Dahmer had killed 12 of his victims, were demolished in November 1992. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom! The site is now a vacant lot. Alternate plans to convert the site into either a memorial garden, a playground, or to reconstruct new housing have failed to materialize. Dahmer was imprisoned at the Columbia Correctional Institution until his death in 1994. Upon sentencing, Dahmer was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institute. For the first year of his incarceration, Dahmer was placed in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety should he come into contact with fellow inmates. He received ample correspondence from individuals across the world, with several individuals donating money, which he spent on items such as cassette recordings, stationery, cigarettes, and magazines. Upon Dahmer's request, after one year in solitary confinement, he was transferred to a less secure unit where he was assigned a two-hour daily work detail cleaning the toilet block. This work detail later expanded to include cleaning the prison gymnasium. Boy, you should have seen, Nevermind! It set off the smoke alarm, never mind! On July 3rd, 1994, a fellow inmate, Osvaldo Dorothy attempted to slash Dahmer's throat with a razor embedded in a toothbrush as Dahmer sat in the prison chapel after the weekly church service was concluded. Dahmer received superficial wounds and was not seriously hurt in this incident. According to Dahmer's family, he had long been ready to die and accepted any punishment which he might endure in prison. In addition to his father and stepmother maintaining regular contact, Dahmer's mother, Joyce, also maintained regular contact with her son. Prior to his arrest, the two had not seen each other since Christmas 1983. Joyce related that in her weekly phone calls, whenever she expressed concerns for her son's physical well-being, Dahmer responded with comments to the effect of, It doesn't matter, Mom. I don't care if something happens to me. Nothing really bad To me. On the morning of November 28, 1994, Dahmer left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from where we go. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for approximately 20 minutes. At approximately 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym, suffering from extreme head wounds. He'd been severely bludgeoned about the head and face with a 20-inch metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. You've got karma. Although Dahmer was still alive and was rushed to a nearby hospital, he was pronounced dead one hour later. Anderson had also been beaten with the same instrument and died two days later from his wounds. I've killed two birds in my life, and I did it with one stone. Scarver, who was serving a life sentence for a murder committed in 1990, informed authorities he had first attacked Dahmer with the metal bar as Dahmer was cleaning a staff locker room before attacking Anderson as Anderson cleaned an inmate locker room. According to Scarver, Dahmer did not yell or make any noise as he was being attacked. Immediately after attacking both men, Scarver, who was thought to be schizophrenic, returned to his cell and informed a prison guard God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead. It was a mercy killing. Scarver was adamant he had not planned the attacks in advance, although he later divulged to investigators he'd concealed the 20-inch iron bar used to kill both men in his clothing shortly before the killings. On May 15, 1995, Scarver was sentenced to two additional terms of life imprisonment for the murders of Dahmer and Anderson. Dahmer had stated in his will that he wished for no services to be conducted and that he wished to be cremated. In September 1995, Dahmer's body was cremated and his ashes divided between his parents. Owing to a disagreement between his parents as to whether Dahmer's brain should be retained for medical research, this organ was initially retained, but also cremated in December of 1995. If we burn her, she gets stuffed in the flames, crackle, 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 which is a bit of a shock if she's not quite dead, but quick. And then you get a box of ashes which you can pretend are hers. Dahmer's estate was awarded to the families of 11 of his victims who had sued for damages. In 1996, Thomas Jacobson, a lawyer representing eight of the families, announced a planned auction of Dahmer's estate. Although victims' relatives stated the motivation was not greed, the announcement sparked controversy... A civic group, Milwaukee Civic Pride, was quickly established in an effort to raise the funds to purchase and destroy many of Dahmer's possessions. The group pledged $408,000, including a $100,000 gift by Milwaukee real estate developer Joseph Zilber, for the purchase of Dahmer's estate. Five of the eight families represented by Jacobson agreed to the terms, and Dahmer's possessions were subsequently destroyed and buried in an undisclosed Illinois landfill. Well, that's about it, really. What? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley.